from Maple Valley to Snoqualmie Pass and everywhere in between, this is Taking the Fifth, the podcast of Washington State's 5th District Democrats. talking via Skype today with Tina Pabladowski, who is running for Washington's Secretary of State this year. Tina, everyone knows what a president, a senator, and a governor do. So what does the Secretary of State do in Washington? That's a really great question and the number one question that I'm asked on the campaign trail, actually. So it's really three jobs for Washington's Secretary of State. The first is to be Washington's chief voting officer. So she who sits in the seat makes the rules around voting. And why that's so important? Well, I always take people back to the 2000 election in Florida, Bush v. Gore, the presidential race, a gal by the name of Catherine Harris, who was the secretary of state in Florida at that time, and the sad legacy of butterfly ballots and hanging chads. You know, it's incredibly important to have somebody in the race who's dedicated to making sure that everyone in the state of Washington has an equal opportunity to vote. The second job for Secretary of State is Chief Corporations and Nonprofits Officer. So when you register your business as a corporation or you register your nonprofit in Washington State, you do so via the Secretary of State's office. But it doesn't have to end there. The Secretary of State has a unique opportunity to be able to help small business, sort of the backbone of job creation in Washington State, through their efforts with registration and something that my opponent in this current race uh, talked about when she ran in 2012 but hasn't been able to execute, uh, a one-stop shop or an online business portal. You know, for many small businesses, uh, they know paperwork comes with being a part of the business, but there are so many places you have to go in the state of Washington to file your paperwork, to the Department of Revenue, to L&I, to licensing, other states like Oregon, and Nevada, and I especially hate to lose to Oregon, though, yeah, really. have a one-stop shop. <laughs> yeah. So it's one place where you can go file all your paperwork, makes it easy, cuts down on fraud, cuts down on waste, cuts down on confusion, and it's something the Secretary of State's office should be leading on. The last job is to be Chief Libraries, History, and Archives Officer for the state of Washington. So all Washington State Libraries report up through the Secretary of State, as well as our our most uh, precious history documents in the Washington State Archives and a whole host of different history projects where we can be talking about the diverse history of Washington State, not just those two guys that we hear the most of, Lewis and Clark. Sure. Well, tell listeners a bit about your background and why you are a uh, good choice for this position. Well, you know, the next Secretary of State is going to have to do an inordinate amount of work related to technology and technology-based projects. We're going to have to replace our entire uh, voter file, our online voter file, the system that we use to count ballots, as well as all of the systems that we're utilizing at a county level, even down to their website. So what helps in my background is that um, I'm a former executive at Microsoft. I've run systems uh, like this both in the U.S. as well as outside of the U.S., And compared to my opponent, I'm the only one who's got real-world experience in looking at these things. In fact, I even have a background in computer engineering, so I can get in there and fight sometimes when folks say, no, the system can't do this. I can make sure that the system actually can do this. I also have government experience. I'm a former Seattle City Council member, 
um, ran uh, when uh, the Seattle City Council seats were district-wide, so 650,000 constituents. And on the council did things like the complete um, redevelopment and uh, replacement of the city's financial management system, another technology project, which saved the city $30 million a year and came in on time and under budget, but also great things like adding gender identity to all the city's civil rights legislations, doing that back in 1999, and also becoming the person uh, and sponsoring the bill that created the first civilian oversight of the police department in the city of Seattle, creating the Office of Professional Accountability there. So, so many other things. Plus, the nonprofit side, I've got on the ground experience there, uh, having run two large nonprofits, Lifelong AIDS Alliance, as well as um, the uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters affiliate here in Puget Sound. But mostly, you know, I have a unique perspective, not just the business perspective, the government perspective, and the nonprofit perspective, but the perspective of how to get citizens engaged in the process. I've been doing this for 30 years in a variety of different ways, but also in so many ways I've been doing it since I was a kid. You know, both my parents were refugees from Poland after World War II. And I grew up uh, as a first generation kid and know very intimately uh, the experiences that many of the folks who are immigrants to our country, who have settled here in Washington state, are having around language issues and access issues to voting. And I wanna make sure that as Secretary of State, 100% of the people who are eligible are registered and 100% of those people are voting. It's a very different, very voter-centric mindset than what we've seen in the Secretary of State's office. And, and speaking of technology, you recently discovered some problems with voter information privacy uh, out of the yes. uh, Secretary's office. Absolutely. Cybersecurity is going to be a huge issue for the next Secretary of State, and I don't believe that the current Secretary of State has done her job in this area. You know, back in 1992, the My Vote, or back in 2012, rather, the My Vote voter um, database, which is what we all use to check on our voter registration or to register for the first time online, was hacked by a New York Times reporter who actually changed some voter registra registrations. So supposedly that system was fixed, but I talked to a few of my friends who are still in the programming world, and they had said, you know what, I don't think it's completely fixed. I still think you can get into the system. And so, you know, we sort of put that info aside and one day decided to try it out for ourselves. And lo and behold, I was able to get into the voter database and see all of my voter information, the information that is able to be made public, as well as the information that's not supposed to be public like your home uh, phone numbers, as well as your work phone numbers, your personal and work emails, your military status. And you could do that for all 4 million voters in Washington state. So we, we asked the Secretary of State to fix that and actually called her out on a lack of attention to cybersecurity details. You know, most every Secretary of State's office in the country has signed an agreement years ago yeah. with Homeland Security to help them out on security. She just recently signed an agreement. It was on September of this year after we found this flaw in the database. So she's not doing the job here. Yeah, that, that's a bit late. Well, uh, you know, somehow, mm -hmm. somehow we've ended up in a situation where we have basically a trash fire of a presidential candidate insisting that when he <laughs> loses, it's going to be because of voter fraud. But how common is voter fraud in reality? <laughs> You know, the, the best study of voter fraud in the United States was done by the Brennan Center, and the Brennan Center really is the gold standard on, on voter research. 
they did a study between the year 2000 and 2014 and looked at um, all the votes cast in the United States, over a billion votes cast in the United States, and found only 31 instances when somebody voted when they shouldn't have voted. You know, statistically, this is just phenomenal. When you think about over a billion votes cast and only 31 instances of this happening. In fact, you know, there's a great line that I've sort of appropriated from the Brennan Center report, which is more people have uh, reported being abducted by aliens in the United States than there are documented instances of voter fraud. So there's really no reason to do things like my opponent has done, which is called for citizenship checks and, and even a voter ID law here in Washington state, the same way they have in 17 other states around the country where there are Republican secretaries of state. It's just another page out of the Republican voter suppression handbook designed to disenfranchise and suppress the vote of young people, people of color, seniors, people of low income. It's something I want to make sure we don't have happen in Washington state. Right. And, and we did go to all-male voting in uh, 2011, but participation is still kind of low. What can we do to increase that participation? There's a variety of things that we can do to increase it, all things that I support and my Republican opponent in this race doesn't support. So first off, how about postage-free ballots? You know, you shouldn't have to put a stamp on your ballot to be able to vote. It's a poll tax. Um, I have kids who are 21 and 19 for whom, you know, they wouldn't know a stamp if you threw it at them. They don't know what to do with it. At the other end, my 87-year-old mom has a hard time finding just one stamp. It's hard to get them. But so many people in Washington state, over 40% of the current voters vote via Dropbox. And 90% of those folks from the Secretary of State's own survey will tell you it's because they don't have the economic means to get a stamp. That's not okay. We should not make people pay to have to be able to vote. But also, let's make sure more people are registered, too. Let's pass the Washington State Voting Rights Act. Let's do same-day registration, which means you can register up to and including on Election Day, as opposed to stopping online and mail-in registrations a month before Election Day, the way we do now in Washington State. Let's pre-register 16- and 17-year-olds. And then let's also do automatic voter registration the way they do in Oregon. Again, I hate to lose to Oregon on yeah. anything, and we're doing it again. Oregon, in the first eight months of AVR, automatic voter registration, registered over 220,000 people, almost all of whom voted in the primary and are anticipated to vote in the general election. We can do so much more in Washington state. Right. And, and who would not want more voter participation? Well, I think, I think that's the Republican party. You know, last night I watched uh, 13th, the Ava DuVernay right. uh, documentary on the 13th amendment. And they had a clip from Lee Atwater back in the seventies talking about the Southern strategy. Sure. Um, and this, you know, for some listeners, this is a historical thing to take a look at, but the whole idea was, how do you flip the South from a, a Democratic stronghold to a Republican stronghold? Well, basically, it's suppressing the vote and making sure that there are um, so many people who don't have an opportunity to vote. That's exactly what voter ID laws and these other sorts of things like calling for citizenship checks or making up voter fraud are exactly designed to do. Right. And some states have even um, started to try to compare and combine their voter lists to remove voters that they think may be duplicated, even if it's just, you know, names in common. Yes, these, this was something that was, came, so there's, 
On the Republican side, there's one secretary of state who's uh, been a leader in the voter suppression efforts dramatically. His name is Chris Kobach. He's the Republican secretary of state in Kansas. And in fact, he's a close um, uh, confidant of Donald Trump. He's written a lot of Donald Trump's immigration policies. He's led this effort that a number of other Republican secretaries of state have picked up to um, sort of uh, scrub voter lists. And they normally scrub these lists uh, based on people moving from one county to another who have um, the same surnames. Well, a lot of these names uh, end up being names like Gonzalez. A lot of these names end up being names uh, that uh, like Jackson that have some connection really to primarily to the Hispanic community and to African-American communities. And this has been a huge issue uh, where voters have been disenfranchised and they don't find out about it until it's too late, until they just can't vote. Right. Well, one more question. You bet. Okay. If someone is not registered to vote yet in Washington, can they still get that done in time for this election? Yes, they can still get it done uh, up until October 31st, Halloween, but they have to do it in person at one of their county auditor offices or the county election officials office. So here in King County, they need to go to the um, annex, which is at the King County Courthouse, downtown Seattle, or they need to go to uh, the actual uh, election officials um, uh, office down in Renton to be able to make that happen. Okay. Well, just a reminder to our listeners, if you haven't picked up on it yet, uh, today is October 23rd, and your ballot should be in your mailbox in the next couple of days. So don't forget to vote and mail that back in before November 8th. The sooner the better. Once the county receives your ballot, it's marked as returned, you'll stop getting calls from the campaigns. Uh, so, <laughs> that, right. That's absolutely true. <laughs> so, for, for more information on the candidates and initiatives on the ballot, go to fifthdems.org, number five, and click endorsements. And for more information about Tina Pawlodowski, go to votersfortina.com. So thank you, Tina. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. This has been Taking the Fifth, the podcast of Washington's 5th District Democrats. For more information on us, visit 5thDistrictDems.com, starting with the number five. Copyright 2016, 5th District Democrats.